Hi. We love having listeners like you because you're not only generous, but you're smart and you want to maximize the impact of your generosity. Donating money to help people can be a wonderful and selfless act, but how can you feel confident that your donations are improving or saving lives effectively? You could do weeks of research to find the charities that are out there, programs that they run, how effective those programs are, and how the charity might use your money. Or you could visit GiveWell.org. There, you'll get a short vetted list of the best charities they've found at saving or improving lives per dollar. GiveWell spends over 20,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only recommends a few of the highest impact evidence back to charities they've found. Here's an example of how we at Edge of NFT make our charitable contributions go super far. Quick search on GiveWell's website, found their Maximum Impact Fund, clicked Donate, sent crypto to their address. Done. Their Maximum Impact Fund distributes quarterly to the charities that they believe will do the most good. GiveWell accepts a broad variety of popular tokens and provides a simple way to document your donation. If you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $250 before the end of the year or as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to GiveWell.org and pick podcast and enter Edge of NFT at checkout. Make sure they know you heard about GiveWell from Edge of NFT to get your donation matched. Hello, I'm Lola Yolayo Pearson from Miston Labs, where we're redefining the playbook for the future of commerce on blockchain. I'm here on the Edge of NFT, the show that's redefining the playbook for the best Web3 content. Keep listening. Hey, NFT Curious listeners, stay tuned for today's episode to learn what compelled our guest to reimagine her path for shaping the future of e-commerce and to part a great role at Shopify. And why everything on SWE is basically an NFT and how this changes the equation for what's possible. Finally, how loyalty and reward programs are being flipped on its head. And yes, it's official. You can now dive into the captivating world of artificial intelligence with the Edge of AI podcast. Join us as we explore the frontiers of AI and its impact on our lives. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Twitter, edge of underscore AI, and LinkedIn for exciting updates and insights. You can also visit our new website at edgeofai.xyz. Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Lola Oyelayo Pearson, who serves as the Director of Commerce Product at Miston Labs. She's at the helm of shaping a commerce roadmap for the SWE blockchain guiding Miston Labs tech innovations for commerce and collaborating with Sweet ecosystem partners to fulfill their commerce goals. Lola spearheads a dedicated team of product managers overseeing all Miston Labs Sweet apps, which includes Sweet Name Service, Sweet Wallet, Sweet Explorer, and Captivating Sweet Friends, collectible initiative. Miston stands as a beacon where brilliant minds tackle foundational challenges to forge the tools of for tomorrow. Their mission, to make Web3 secure, dependable, and primed for widespread use. Lola, Thanks for joining us. Where are you calling us from today? I am in Toronto, although a lot of people will notice my accent is British. So I am another Brit in Canada, which is a very welcoming place for us, I have to say. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? 
And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. Very cool. And my experience with Toronto is you all have a great food scene, but I was really surprised by how many good vegan options are there. I'm not a vegan, but you guys have tons of great vegan food. Canada, honestly, well, I'll speak to Toronto, is very much got tons of options for everyone is pretty much been my experience. There are lots of vegan options. The food scene, there's so many different nationalities of food represented and you just always have options. And like for me, I have a kid. So unlike London, where sometimes they look at you like, ew, you have kids. Here in Canada, pretty much any restaurant you go to will have a kid's menu or a kid's option. So it's just kind of like an easy place to hang out. Canadians are quite chill, I have to say. I'm having a good time here. That's cool. And I will just add, I just got back from Dubai and I was blown away by the flexibility and diversity of the food scene there too. They had keto options. They had something for everyone as well. So it's great to see that I can leave LA and get like all sorts of cool food. And it reminds me, I have to get back to Toronto. We can probably talk about food for a while, but I'd really like to start by jumping into your background and what got you pumped about joining Miston Labs and sort of on that journey. We've gotten to know each other a little bit. And I just think your background and your philosophy on the future of e-commerce is so fascinating. So let's start there. Yeah, let's start there. So as Richard said, I'm sort of just under a year into my stint heading up Missing Labs' commerce proposition. But prior to this, I actually was director of UX at Shopify. And for a large part of that period, I was leading Shopify's endeavors to build financial solutions for small businesses. So if you're not familiar with Shopify, they are all about commerce. And I think their mission is making commerce better for everyone, right? And so when you lean into that problem for even a short period of time, you kind of get pinched by the narrative and also the reality of what it means to actually solve the everyday problems is at small businesses, that corner store around the corner from you or the brand that you love so much or the side hustle that you're even picking up yourself. You get really into all of the different challenges that a typical business has to face just to break even. I've had previous experience working in retail before Shopify. I was working in finance with Capital One. A long time ago, I was in investment banking, used to be part of an agency working with all types of customers. So you kind of get to see a lot of different lenses, but I think my time at Shopify put me in the seat a little bit. We're all entrepreneurs. I had my own store. My sister has a store. You kind of just live the problem a little bit differently. So when I combine what I did at Shopify and how that kind of like combined a lot of my previous experience with what I think blockchain can do, you kind of understand a little bit about why my job is this 
incredibly broad and non-specific director of commerce title. But the way I like to think about what my job actually is, I'm a big believer, maybe not so much in decentralization in a pure sense, but much more about like the equitable distribution of kind of income and opportunity on the internet. And I think blockchain technologies do distribute a little bit better than what we have currently with non-blockchain tech online. And when you combine that with opportunities to address some of the kind of challenges that are like just forever sticky, forever expensive, forever challenging for small businesses and big businesses alike, you end up with what I'm trying to do, which is to create solutions for the internet that just kind of like make it easier to do business and simple commerce business. And that's everything from the apps that we build ourselves at Mistin Labs, our wallet, trying to make it easier to kind of access the ecosystem or our collectibles project, which is trying to reframe what NFT ownership is. It's not about like, I own one of 20, but we've got, I think something like 400,000 holders of the Sweet Friends collectible because it does something, not just because you own it, but because owning it gives you access to more stuff to also kind of spending a lot of time with our partners on the ecosystem. So builders who they have incredible tech teams, they have ambition, they want to do really cool stuff. They help me solve commerce problems. So I need an ads product. I need a marketplace. I need payment solution. I need delivery. I need customizations. I need collectibles. Like I can work with our ecosystem to make it possible to do things on SWE and then package those two things together and bring kind of non-Web3 people to the table and say, hey, this issue you have with top of funnel acquisition, retention, loyalty and engagement, here's a bag of tools that happen to be built on blockchain, but they solve those fundamental problems that you have in your business full stop. So they're not about you being on blockchain, they're about solving those commerce challenges. They happen to be better because they're on blockchain, they're probably cheaper, more accessible, more interesting, but it's not just pure blockchain play. And so that's what most of my time is occupied trying to just make a tiny dent. I'm only one person. <laughs> yeah. So not a lot, but just enough just to lot. get you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Your background's <laughs> awesome. And being able to take all the real life cases of owning your own business, knowing what it means to have to work in the e-commerce side, then yeah. work with a company like Shopify and then take all of that and bring it in, seeing what some of those deficiencies were from Web2 yeah. and how blockchain can help solve a lot of those challenges. Just a lot of reasons why you probably got excited about Mistin, but yes. you were starting to name a few of the different things you're working on, but I want to kind of go back to the origin because the goal of Mistin is to centralize the future with all the tools that you just named and more that are coming, but what's the genesis of Mistin Labs and what's the true mission? Yeah, so I'll take you back a little bit further in my background. So I fell in love with blockchain in the year of 2017. After my daughter was born, I had exited the agency that I'd been working with. It had been an amazing experience, but I had the fortune to be on maternity leave and be like, what do I want to do with my life? I want to solve hard problems. And a bunch of friends of mine were building a blockchain. And so I got into that blockchain with them. And one of them was a co-founder at Miston currently. And for anyone who was in crypto back in 2017, 2018, you know that the winter was cold, it was hard, and it hit very quickly towards the end of 2018. And so they were acquired by Meta and they went on to build Libra or DM as some people might know it. And the thing that I always loved about that time in blockchain then and what drew me to Miston now is we were talking about making blockchain internet scale. So I could have bought more Bitcoin in 2017. I wish I had, but I didn't because for me personally, I wasn't attracted by 
the financialization of crypto. And I wasn't into all of these coins and like meme coins and things that people were getting excited about. I didn't even buy enough NFTs, to be honest. I had a crypto kitty. Let me not hype up. For me, it was much more about the equity side, the redistribution of participation. And so in order for that to be true on the internet, you needed a blockchain that ran at internet scale, fast enough, scalable enough, and cheap enough. And the tech we were building then with George, one of the co-founders of Miston, I really believed in. And him and his team went and proved that tech at Libra. They didn't launch it, but as we now know, there are a bunch of well-funded blockchain propositions that came out of Libra that are built on that same tech. And so George combined with Sam, who co-founded Move, which is this blockchain smart contract language that seeks to specifically address the problems that you get with Ethereum and EVM-based smart contracts, which is if you're not very knowledgeable, you can write a really rubbish, really insecure smart contract. And suddenly there are funds moving through that smart contract that are unsafe and people get compromised. Move was written in such a way that you would almost be really trying to write something insecurely. And so it kind of comes with this higher trust guarantee as a coding language. It's object-centric, so it's developer-friendly. They get it. So I think all of these things made me believe that the tech was internet ready. And honestly, I think it was about a year ago this time, I was kind of looking at a cycle at Shopify. I'd been there nearly three years. And if anyone's been in a company three years, you know, you go through these cycles where like, you're a little bit like, eh, and you have to recommit. And part of my recommit process is to make sure that I wouldn't be better off outside than inside. And I was in the middle of that cycle and Miston raised a ton of money. So I pinged George and I was like, dude, what are you doing? Do I want to come and join you? Is it interesting? Should I move now? And I started a series of conversations that brought me here. So fundamentally, like for me, I'm not an engineer. Um, I've always been engineering adjacent, but I care about the possibilities that exist in the technology. But I'm at Miston because I actually think because of their tech, I can then execute my personal vision for what blockchains can offer in the commerce space. And it's been an incredible ride this year, the amount of things that we've already done towards that end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been so impressed. I I wasn't sort of following along, I would say, before this year, but it's hard to miss you all at this point with the sort of the rate of development, the breadth of projects you're working on. And part of that fundamentally is crafting tools that empower individuals and creators. And as you've mentioned, sort of championing data and content ownership, but also helping to sort of define what that really means. I'd love if you could sort of tackle some of these tools that are sort of being created in how they sort of redefine data and content ownership. So let me give you a very real example, because I feel like I've observed this example from when I first joined Miston. So one of the early conversations that most people have is, oh, you're a new chain. Let's talk about NFTs. Great. And initially, we had a lot of attention from our developer community about standards for NFTs and a lot of noise about like creators and creators' rights and how do you make sure you control royalties and all of that stuff. And transparently, Miston was late to the conversation. We had developers in our ecosystem who were trying to advance that much faster because they had painful experiences at other ecosystems and other chains that I won't necessarily name. And when we started actually working on this and credit where credit's due to, to our developers who are incredible, the approach we took was slightly different. It wasn't just about let's lock in royalties. It was kind of en suite, everything is effectively an NFT. So when you have an inherently programmable asset space full stop, 
the idea of creating a standard to limit it is very difficult, right? It's like, I don't want to lock it down. I actually want to keep its ability to do many different things. And where we ended up, instead of just a pure standard for an NFT, is we came up with this model or this primitive that we describe it this way called kiosk. And kiosk is, if you imagine, it's a container. So typically when you have a web account and you own an asset, it's just 100% yours. But that also means that it's quite expensive for somebody to ping and ask you what the state of that object is. Is it for sale? How much is it for? What does it mean? And this is where typically a marketplace would go in. With Kiosk, we were able to create essentially a shared liquidity layer on chain. So you put your owned assets, your NFTs inside a kiosk. That kiosk is controlled by you, but that kiosk is a shared object. That means everyone can see the state of what's inside the kiosk. And importantly, kiosks come with this concept of transfer policy, so conditions essentially. And as a creator, so for example, our Sweet Friends collectible project, our NFTs, um, we have a condition that means all of our sweet friends are sold within a kiosk. That means that every time we sell it or someone else sells it onwards to so secondary and tertiary sales, we get a percentage of a royalty fee back to Miston. And the reason we did that, I mean, it's literally like 0.01%. But the reason we did that was we were like, hey, if you're a creator here, you can see with sweet friends how it easy it is to create a transfer policy that serves your business model. And royalties are actually only one type of business model. I'm really trying to enable the full breadth. Like there is, obviously I want a royalty, but you might just have really strong IP and you want to license it, which is actually how most of our favorite cartoon characters exist and how Disney makes its business. It licenses its IP. It doesn't just do royalties. The other option might be, you might want to do rentals if you're playing a game and you want to say, hey, I got to level 10 and I got this asset that no one can get unless they get to level 10, but you want to try playing level 10, I'll rent it to you for the day. And Kiosk gives us this vehicle for saying that as the originator, the creator, you can set whatever policies you like, but also as an owner, I can decide if I want to add extra policies to that. And so it becomes much more than a standard. It becomes actually an integral part of saying like, if you want to do business on SWE, why wouldn't you use a kiosk? Why wouldn't you integrate your solutions with it? Because actually it's much more expressive than a flat standard. And these optional, I guess, terms of service that you can add, are these templated in a way that you can kind of pick and choose them or are they fully customized or both? There's a little bit of both. So the basic kiosk standard is quite generalized. It would work for any domain, any type of business model, any type of asset. We then have the concept of extensions that you can add or adaptations, adapters. So we've got a marketplace adapter, for example, that allows anyone to spin up a marketplace where they can list all kiosk objects really easily. So it's designed to be extensible so that it can serve the niche and the full spectrum. But the base standard is quite generalized. And the idea there is we preserve interoperability across apps in the simplest possible way but everybody can add their layer on top. And so we're missing more tools. We're missing maybe somebody to build a collections launch pad that integrates kiosks and makes it perfect for games and makes it perfect for media, makes it perfect for publishing. Everybody kind of wants their version of something, but all of those would operate on the same kiosk foundation. And that to me is a really great example of like the way Miston looks at this. It's like, it's a blockchain problem 
but it's actually about respecting the business models that exist off chain and making sure they can be represented on chain. And then suddenly the blockchain just becomes part of the internet. It stops being this place you go to trade. Yeah, Richard and I talk about that a lot, right? Because fundamentally, I was on a gaming panel recently and I asked the question, and an important question to these Web3 gaming leaders is, what's the problem with gaming that we're trying to solve, right? Like, all right, because we're so excited about the bells and whistles and benefits of blockchain, but how does it actually sort of fit into the needs of an industry? These industries are not fundamentally broken. We all shop online. We're not afraid of shopping online. Like that was a problem maybe five years ago, right? Like I can remember my first credit card purchase online and I was like, ooh, should I do this, right? But that's not the problem. Like, we don't have that type of friction. But what are the real problems? And I think it's one thing for coders and developers to look at those problems independently. It's another for them to have someone like you that's been sort of both an avid shopper and an e-commerce vet that sort of understands those problems. And and it really seems like Mission is taking stock of asking that fundamental question, what problem are we trying to solve here? Yeah. And I think if we zoom out of blockchain and you look at like the arc of tech that sticks, unfortunately for all of us, it's not always the best tech that sticks and hits and kind of creates that massive adoption swirl. It's the tech that best explains its purpose and value to you. And I think SWE turned up in 2023. We've already been through how many bull and bear runs. Everyone's like blockchain, whatever. I don't want to talk about, I don't want to sell you a blockchain. I want to sell you a value proposition. I want to give you a response to a problem that you already know you have. So then like my job is 10 times easier because I don't have to explain why it's important to you. I simply have to solve that problem. And I think fundamentally like kiosk is a great example where like creators really struggle to make money. And so we've said, look, it is a primitive on the chain. It is not something that people have to figure out how to use. It's default available to all builders, pick it up and use it. In a similar way, recently, the thing I'm most proud of, again, I'm proud non-engineer, but I've spent almost the entire year working with our cryptography team, which it makes my brain hurt, but it challenges me. And one of the things that emerged out of that is we launched this thing called ZK Login which is effectively account abstraction in a light touch way in that you use your standard OAuth login, like login with Google, login with Facebook, login with Twitch, and you can generate an on-chain address. And that is a really big win because again, if you're going to talk about what's blockchain's killer app and why haven't we had one yet, I think we haven't had one because it's such a pain to participate. And so you've got to solve the access problem and say, like, how do we take away this nightmare scenario whereby I have to get a mnemonic and a wallet and I have to remember these things and then I have to on-ramp? It's like, we've got to start chipping away at that problem too. So ZK Login for us was a really big win because we wanted something that was still incredibly secure, incredibly usable. It uses zero-knowledge proofs to the kind of limit of that technology right now. And it gives us the ability to package blockchain further and say, we'll put it where it is, where it's needed. So now I can embed a wallet much more easily. And again, it's available as a primitive on SWE. Our engineers and developers who want to use it get to use it by default on chain because they're building on SWE. They don't have to pay a third-party service to provide this level of solution. 
And that's really powerful. One of the ways that I got introduced to SWE was actually early this year at Eat Denver, you hosted a hackathon and I got to see a lot of the tools that you're describing when it was first being built and even some other devs coming on and working on some other cool and unique opportunities. And one of the things that I think was a resonating theme that a lot of the mm-hmm. devs were telling me were just like how powerful a lot of the core of Move and Sweet and everything else that's like essential to building out this landscape, how yeah. important it is. And how is it that Missing is continuing to maintain this scientific and engineering excellence and keep attracting more and more of this top tier talent of the devs? To be honest, like if you knew how much this still hasn't come out yet, like if I started listing through the things that we can do that we haven't yet put out, I think it's that, again, that same thing of like the people who work at Miston right now, we all care about making blockchain relevant. And so that lens is applied to the things that we prioritize and we build out. I don't know if other people will agree with me, but let's just throw some controversy in there. We could spend the next year building a DAO, right? We could argue that that's the most important thing, that blockchains need this kind of full decentralization spectrum. And maybe one day a DAO will be the right thing to build. But actually what we recognize is like, you know, if everyone remembers the shape of that fat adoption curve, we're still stuck at this state where like a bunch of really engaged people and we lovingly call ourselves DGENs, obsessed with blockchain, convinced it's going to be a huge hit, but then sometimes are really averse to what that means in reality, i.e. more access, better marketing, better packaging, and actually like product thinking, not engineering thinking. And one of our founders said something to me in the summer that was so profound. Again, George Denezes, who's like one of the biggest brains in the world, such a cool guy. He heads up one of the crypto teams at UCL, which is like a top tier university around the world. And he said to me, just because we can do it doesn't mean it's a product. And I think that really resonates through all of Misson. Like Adani, who's one of the co-founders, he's a product person. He recognizes that cool tech is cool and all, but so what? And I think that's my thing as well. It's like, I want to understand how do I bring it to somebody in plain English? How would this be relevant? And it's not necessarily just to say, oh, let's get paid and get rich. It's actually just like, if you want a real person to use it and you want those real people to be in the millions and billions, kind of has to be a product. It can't just be a capability. And that's the challenge that we have is like, there's a long list of things and opportunities, things we've opened up because of the way SWE's built, because of the research team continuing to push the boundaries of what's possible when you've got a stack like we have. But really we have to scrutinize, yeah, but why would someone want it? And how is it relevant? And does it make sense? And that's why it's a little bit slower to get the solutions out the door because you've got to spend the time. There's no quick and cheap and easy way to just do that packaging. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And very exciting and optimistic here about what you all are going to do for this industry. Let's dive a little deeper into NFTs. It is Edge of NFT and also the relationship between all these products you're building and the concept of loyalty, which has been sort of, there's always this like debate in the space, is loyalty and rewards one of the best use cases for NFTs or is it sort of a micro use case that's just getting a little bit too much spotlight attention because the other use cases haven't really bubbled up yet. How do you look at NFTs and loyalty within the Mistin framework? So yeah, this is a topic I love. So I said earlier, everything on SWE is 
technically could be considered an NFT. Like the object centricity kind of allows you to treat any asset in this way. But probably like the underlying capability for me here and why something like loyalty becomes really interesting on Sui is because you do want the inherent ability to update an asset, right? To change state. So we talk about composable NFTs and everyone's obsessed with them. It doesn't just mean that, oh, my still video, my still image turns into a video. For us, it means that the asset inherits metadata. It involves. So let me give you a scenario. Imagine you can have a loyalty NFT on chain. So you are a loyal customer of brand A. Brand A, in response to you issuing and getting an account, issues a loyalty token on chain. That loyalty token updates with your behavior. Every time you make a purchase, you go up in points and those points are reflected in your on-chain token. And you hit a tier of experiences that you can now redeem that money can't buy. You get to do something no one else can because you're like a gold, silver, or platinum fan, customer, whatever. But, oh my gosh, I don't actually have a use case for it. I can't take that flight. I can't attend the concert that night. I can't meet the president. I can't do dinner. I can't get a visa, whatever. In a traditional loyalty environment, you just miss out. (laughs) You do everything in your power or you go to like quite dodgy, probably places and try and sell it to a friend or somebody, or there's a tout involved on chain. The brand could control what happens. It's like, Hey, you access this because you are a loyal person. So now that benefit belongs to you. It's entirely up to you what you do with it. And you could decide to say, you know what? I will sell it. And when you sell it, the brand gets a kickback. They get their royalty. Um, You still feel really good because you felt like you benefited from your behavior because you got to sell the benefit, even though you didn't use the benefit. And someone else who didn't have the time to earn that right still got to experience it. Now, sounds crazy, but like I lost out on two free flights with an airline this year because I couldn't find an appropriate time and window to book my benefit. That is money that I've walked away from and I'm super pissed about. It would be a cold day in hell before I book another flight with that airline because they gave me no flexibility. And I think the reality is that's what loyalty actually looks like. It's like you as a brand benefited from my loyalty and my behavior. And then when it came to reward me, you gave me too many constraints and you lost all of that value. And in that scenario, we preserve the brand's income, we preserve the loyalty and we preserve the benefit, but it's inherently possible because the loyalty token updates with your behavior and like the public ledger gives you the ability to control what happens with the asset. So I want to see that happen on Sui. <laughs> yeah, I love that example. I'm going to just going to call out the Priority Plus program because, you know, <laughs> You're I, naming and shaming. Look, I'm in LA and I theoretically have access to lounges at all major airports around the world, right? And there's not a single lounge in LA. And then a lot of the lounges have weird hours or depriority is priority plus over other programs. So whoever negotiated that deal didn't truly create a win-win for them and their partners. And then me as the sort of recipient, I don't get any of the bennies, right? And now they charge me for my guests and they close early. Don't get me started there. But it's like, wait, I earned this. And now you sort of said, just kidding. You rug pulled me. I think some of that is poor design. 
Some of it is actually just the inherent challenge of having to use closed databases to run loyalty solutions. Like if your loyalty status was on the public ledger and in that moment they could barter to offer another lounge your loyalty and attendance in a lounge, you get the benefit that other airline gets to acquire a potential user. And it becomes like, hey, your competition's looking at you much more clearly, but at the same time, you're preserving the idea of like, how can I create more value here? I don't have to design everything inside my little garden wall. I actually have the ability to barter and trade and share behavior with maybe other people's loyalty programs. And we all get access to everybody's like super premium people because we can all see their loyalty tokens. We can gate, we can validate that they own this token. And again, if we go back to the kiosk example, like for us, you can soulbound the loyalty token to an individual address, but you can still offer the ability for assets acquired by that token to be themselves much more tradable if you want them to be or not. And so you get a lot of control that says, yeah, my regulations, my cost is is managed, but it's managed in a way that still allows the individual to feel like, hey, I actually own the value here and I feel in control of what happens to me. And I do want to flip the case and say like a lot of businesses, the struggle they have with loyalty programs is they can't give you infinite value. At some point they have to recognize the cost. They have to recognize the spend. They've got to lock it down. It's not a forever thing, but this is where I think there is an ROI hook as well, because if you had to build a first party loyalty system, you probably have to buy some really expensive tech from a really big vendor and you're putting millions in and hoping that your marketing does enough to acquire that. My pitch is Swee's got 60, 70% of what you need. Start small and cheap and see the ROI. If you only have 10,000 people on it, but you didn't have to spend $5 million to stand up an experiment with 10,000 people, your ROI is definitely going to look better. And that's where I think we've got an interesting opportunity to talk to bigger brands who want to find a different calculation. And again, it sounds like I'm pitching the company, but why not? Another benefit for Sui here is like the more we grow, the gas fees stay flat and sometimes decrease. And that's very different to other chains. So like demand doesn't increase cost to use Sui. And that's super important. If you're a big brand and you want to put a big solution on chain right now, if you do that on Ethereum, your eyes might water because it's almost like your success immediately impacts your ROI. There's an inverse relationship between how much it costs you to service that versus what the gain is. On SWE, it's the opposite. We can probably give you predictable costs the entire way through and all the upside is there for you. And that's so important in tech when you're talking to a CRM leader or a marketing exec. It's like the numbers have to make sense. And part of what we're trying to do with Sweet is also make sure like the business of being on a blockchain makes sense, not just the hype and the cool points. It's a practically speaking, this is a purchasable infrastructure. This is a purchasable business case internally makes sense. And that's really important to me as a validation for why I'm here for sure as well. Yeah. And it's extremely powerful. And my head goes down so many different rabbit holes as it relates to loyalty programs and just immediately go to like good experience I've had with some various credit card companies or even some other programs that I use. And the ones I prefer are the ones where, oh, I can use this for a rental car. I can travel. I can go and do 
all of this at any given time. Like th- those points don't just go away. Whereas for others, it's like you only have this amount of time to do it and you have these constraints to your point. But that's kind of bridging the web two to web three. And I know Sui's doing a lot of things to do that. Yeah. So I really want to say just thank you for your time for expressing a lot of that with us. And there's so much more to come. So for those who are out there listening, what are ways that people can connect and learn more about Sui and also be able to connect with you? Yeah, sure. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, apologies in advance. If you ping me on LinkedIn and I take a long time to get back to you, you can also find me on X and Threads. And Sui is out there. We have got Sui.io where you can go and learn about the Sui chain. We've got a Discord community, which is, I think, one of the top 10 largest. We've got just under 700,000 participants in our Discord community. So join the channels and the conversations there and also follow the Sui network on X and threads as well. You can find out updates about what we're doing Next year, 2024, we have this concept of Builder Houses. So Builder Houses is like a global tour of events where some of our the Miston team and the Sui Foundation team essentially incubate two-day conference at a location. We have workshops, masterclasses, presentations, demos, um, and then just really good socializing between investors and builders and interested parties. So check out the Sui.io site to see what dates we might be coming to a city near you in 2024. Awesome. Well, thank you for all of that. And for everyone listening, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFT for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this Starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now. Rate us. Say something awesome. Then you go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, make sure to tune in to the next time for even more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. Hello again, Web3 Curious listeners. If you're tuning into our podcast, we'd love for you to connect with us on our social media channels. Let us know what aspects of the show you love and what or who you're eager to hear more about. Your insights help us refine the show and bring you the topics and guests that matter most to you. Thanks for sticking with us. Back to the episode. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy. 